Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No guru bullshit from the front ever, and no smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI has also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. I'm going to ask you to do this every week, too. So if you enjoy this podcast, you got to help me out, folks. So the goal this year is to go from about 750 weekly listeners to 5,000 if you want me to keep doing this. And the deal I'm making is I'm going to double the amount of content I put out. Here's what you need to do if you want that to happen. You need to subscribe if you haven't already and then rate and review on iTunes and then share it all over the fucking internet. I mean everywhere. Share it everywhere. Preferably social. Tag me if you can. Um, and if you don't like it, don't do it. If you don't want this to happen, don't do it either. So, But otherwise, I appreciate it. For everybody who's already done that, because I think I'm up to like 48 now, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it, and it really does help. It helps a lot. So thank you. Um, do you have any comments, questions, or suggestions? Go to RenegadeDetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. Hit me up on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. Some fucker already got Jeremy Burgess. Or go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. Legal disclaimer. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't fucking sue me. All right. Time for the Renegade Joint Investor Show Quote of the Week, where I try to pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And I stole this from our guest, Luke, his email signature. One seed can grow a tree, one voice a revolution, one love a world. You are one anonymous all right folks let me introduce you to my guest luke sasek he started with cutco in 2011 january thereof well a senior at east grand rapids high school um, he reached 250,000 in career sales volume before graduating from michigan state university in may 2015 he started working full-time and the Closing Gifts Division in June 2015. He's currently serving over 1,300 clients throughout Michigan. Uh, he has grown in sales year over year, all six years in business, and business is up 65% year to date this year over last year. Definitely check him out, folks. Luke Sasek, S-A-S-E-K. Go to cutcoclosinggifts.com, C-U-C. C-U-T-C-O, ClosingGifts.com. Hit him up, 616-295-5537. Or L-M, Lima, L-M, um, Sasek, S-A-S-E-K, at gmail.com. And also, if you listen to the podcast I posted from the DAC, from the David Books podcast, you hear one of the best sales pitches of all time, I think, on there and I recommend it. and that's why I, uh, <laughs> one of the best that's why I wanted to have him on the podcast thanks for coming Luke I appreciate it it's my pleasure yeah so you're a young man and I read through your bio and I didn't know this but uh, you started in Cutco before you even went to college but you if I understand this correctly you worked your way through college selling Cutco products is that correct correct first of all how did you get involved with Cutco as a senior in high school that seems 
very adult thing to do. And when I was a senior in high school, I was not doing adult things. I was doing stupid kid things, right? Like most stupid kids. Um, what made you different? What made you do that? It was a, it was just a chance occurrence that I came across uh, a website online and applied for the position. I had put in applications at all sorts of places that probably most high school students will put in applications at Subway and the local movie theater and uh, didn't have any job experience, hadn't heard back from a single company. And then one day I just got pretty desperate to get some job experience, make some money before I went off to college. And I typed in Google work for students and Cutco owns the website workforstudents.com. So I signed up. Savage. <laughs> yep. So I signed up uh, for an application and uh, got a call not probably 15, 20 minutes later to come in to the local office to do an interview. I had no idea it'd be for selling knives. Uh, I borrowed my dad's suit for the interview and <laughs> got hired and never thought I'd be here six years later, but here we are. That's funny. Did you look like you're wearing your dad's suit too? Is it too big or are you guys uh, similar sizes? We're similar sizes. I think I may, I may have pulled it off. Just barely. <laughs> <laughs> so how long between when you signed, when you went to the website and signed up to when they called you? It was really quick. It was that same day. And yeah. then I think I went in either the same day or the next day for the interview. Okay. Uh, well, obviously they made a compelling case or you wouldn't be here. Do you remember what the uh, compelling case was? Right. Cause I, what I'm trying to figure out is how does a, a senior, how do you convince a senior to sell knives? And you're, st and obviously you're doing it and you're successful at it. Right. So I just, maybe it's just cause I was such a dumbass when I was a senior, I'm having a hard time comprehending, but, uh, uh, what was the value proposition they made that made it uh, so intriguing and why you, why you decided to try it? Uh, it was my first job, so I just wanted to get my feet wet a little bit. And um, I remember, like, I remember feeling very adultish that I got to like go into the office and like dress up and uh, be a, be a professional, or at least put on the facade that I was a professional. <laughs> um, so it was it was something where I I had no job experience. I I'd never done anything aside from odd jobs like mowing lawns and doing stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get my feet wet in the business world. My, my mom and dad, uh, have both been entrepreneurs the whole, their whole life. My dad, uh, ran a direct sales company for 18 years and, uh, has now been in network marketing for the last 10 years. So they were very open to me trying it out and seeing how I did and, uh, they've supported me throughout the whole process as well. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna go ask. It seems that whenever someone takes out, steps out and takes a chance, it's almost always their parents had too, and their parents are doing entrepreneurial things too. So, um, did, would you already decide to go to college, or and you just trying to get work experience, or and what, exactly? Yeah. Okay. So how did it? How did it go with Cutco while you were working your way through college? It was challenging. I. Uh, I went to Michigan State University and, um, you know, the fall of 2011 was my freshman year. I had, um, I had quit Cutco or I, or I had, I thought I'd quit Cutco and had no really plans to ever return until I spent my way through all my savings from the summer working. And, uh, I was in 
East Lansing and called the local manager there and um, she invited me in to to come check out the team and meet the team in East Lansing and then that's how I got back into it. So it was a little bit um, slow starting off with no no really like I didn't know anyone in East Lansing. It was it was hard to um, to to get appointments scheduled and. Uh, I didn't have very many leads, and I ended up getting involved in our fair and show program, which is uh, doing displays at different like home shows and art festivals, county fairs, and so on, and uh, started to, to build a base of clientele in Lansing and just worked on it slowly but surely throughout my four years at Michigan State. Yeah. So how does it, how's the cut? So you saved money over the, the summer. How much money did you make over the summer that that was, was that your first year or first year working for Cutco or? Yeah. So, uh, January, 2011 up until July, I was finishing high school, working part-time then started really going after it in the summertime of 2011. Uh, I got invited to our national rep conference that Cutco has every year. That was in Florida. That was May of my senior year in high school. I actually skipped my senior prom to go to a Cutco conference. Dude, that's hardcore. <laughs> so yeah, uh, sales nerd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the best, one of the best decisions I ever made. Fuck though, yeah! I learned so cares? much at that conference. Yeah. Uh, came back and all of a sudden was one of the top reps in Michigan. When I thought I had no idea what I was doing up until then, and then I go to this. Uh, division meeting in Novi and was one of the top five reps in Michigan. Uh, so, sold like six or seven thousand dollars in knives in a two week period and was up on stage getting a trophy. And then I'm like, dude, that's a fuck ton of knives. How many knives is that? That is, I don't know what your cut is on a knife, but the nice knife is like seventy five dollars. I mean, that's a lot of knives you sold. Yep. How'd you sell five or six thousand dollars of knives in two weeks? Melt the phone. <laughs> yeah, really. That's all it is. It's just following the programs, making the phone calls, scheduling the appointments. The the really the blessing and and working with such a great company that has such a great reputation and makes such a great product is that it really sells itself. So once you get in the door and and talk to people, then uh, as long as you know you you have the basic sales skills of building rapport and going over features and benefits. And then the closing process is really simple and easy because everyone sees the value in it and everyone will use it every day for the rest of their lives. So, well, obviously something happened at that conference because you, 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 did you go to the conference uh, killer, but you or not? I was, I, I would say I was average or yeah. maybe slightly above average. Um, I was, like I said, I was still in, in high school just doing, you know, seven to 10 appointments per week, maybe part-time around classes and on weekends and things like that. Were you working your sphere of influence or what were you doing to set the appointments or how were they having you set the appointments? Yep. So, uh, sphere of influence is how everyone gets started. And, uh, I probably did like 20 to 30 appointments with my sphere to get started. And then from there, uh, just asking for recommendations and referrals at every single appointment and averaging probably eight to 10 per client that I saw. So I had at that point a list of two or 300 more people that I could start calling once I ran out of my sphere and then just kind of continued to 
to build it and it snowballed from there. All right. And the, what did you learn going to the conference? So you, you went down there average or maybe slightly above average, and then you come back from the conference and then sell $6,000 of knives in two weeks, right? Is that yeah, about just, how it went? Yeah, exactly. I just, I just learned to, uh, to think bigger and, uh, you know, do more appointments, ask for the order, be more confident. Um, yeah. And, and so I just, I just, it just opened my mind from what like the people in my local office in Grand Rapids were doing to seeing what everyone, like the top performers around the nation were doing. And it, it rubbed off on me a little bit, I guess. Yeah. I love that you went to do that instead of your high school prom. (laughs) Sorry. There's no date this time. I'm going to learn how to sell more knives, which is interesting for a high school senior to do. So, when you're when you're going through and you're setting these appointments, I like what you said about the ask to ask for the business. That does seem to be something that uh, a lot of people have a problem doing. Like when I take people on appointments, they like doing everything except for making the offer, right? Like it's like they're terrified of of being told no or whatever. So, what did you learn at the conference that made you ask more? might be helpful for the people listening. So, yeah. Um, I would say just ask early and often and maybe not necessarily early. Just don't be scared of the no. Um, and just have, have confidence, act like you've been there before, act like you're not asking for the biggest sale you've ever made. Just pretend that's what most people do and kind of the fake it till you make it mentality. Mm. Well, six thousand dollars in knives in two weeks is pretty impressive. So you come back, sell shit ton of knives. So and then you think you're going to quit, right? You're going to college and you're not. I'm done with that. Did you think you're done forever or just done for an hour? Like, okay, no more Cutco. I don't remember. I don't. I just. I don't remember making a decision where like, yeah, I quit. I'm done with that. It was just like kind of the natural progression of things in my life where I was, I was moving away to college. I didn't have a car at my freshman year at Michigan state. I had no really way of going to people's homes to do the appointments. And so I didn't really consider it to be an option until I started running out of money and thinking more creatively about what I could do. Uh, the only other option I considered is I, I interviewed for, an insurance company to be an insurance salesman while, while a part-time student. And they were kind of like, yeah, well you need a car. And then I'm like, well, that doesn't change the fact that I don't have a car. So, um, I just reached out to one of my buddies from the Grand Rapids office that, um, went to central Michigan university and he was coming down to East Lansing on a weekly basis. Since there were no offices up in Mount Pleasant, he came to the East Lansing meetings and uh, reached out to him and got back involved from there. Yeah. How did that? So were you going to school full-time or part-time? Full-time. Full-time. Matt's. what did you get your degree in? Just out of curiosity. Environmental studies and sustainability. I don't know what that means. Was that hard or easy? Uh, It was, I wouldn't say it was particularly hard. It was just for medium. Yeah. Yeah. Still lots of work though, right? Mm-hmm. Doing homework, all that. How did you manage? First of all, that's some put together shit. Um, I think the first 
until I was like 21 or 22, all I did was try and drink myself to a stupor <laughs> and show up to work and not do too shitty of a job. Uh, so you, you were definitely in a different place than I was. But what was your schedule like when you're working your way through college? Because it sounds like you're setting a fair number of appointments. So mm-hmm. um, maybe walk me through how many calls you have to make to set an appointment, how many appointments you have to go on to get a sale. Like, just kind of work the numbers. Yeah. So um, while I was in college, I'm working mostly with homeowners. Um making i would say my four years in college um i i was in the i was in the top 25 reps in the in the entire nation for four years in a row and really all it was was 125 phone calls per week so i would make 25 calls a day five days a week schedule between like seven to ten appointments and then had a probably close to 80 or 90% sales ratio on all those appointments. Dude, that's a huge close rate. Is that, is that normal close rate or is that what's, what's a normal close rate? I think our rate? company average is 60% for somebody who's new. Um, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And like I mentioned, the, the product really sells itself a lot of the time. Yeah, it is nice shit. If you, at least if you like cooking and you like nice, I still have a bunch of cut cone knives when my wife sold it years ago. They're, they're fucking great. <laughs> they do work great. So there are, they are awesome knives. There's no doubt about that. Um, what was your average or did you, I don't know if you tracked it. Do you have an average sales amount or did, did you have goals or because when you go in, there's lots of things you could, uh, you can sell, right? Yeah, my average was $250. Damn. That, that was my average sale for the four years while I was in college. Man, that's not bad. So you would go on these sphere of influence calls, you would close them, and then you would ask for eight to 10 referrals, which is boss, by the way. They give them to you, right? Yeah. And then you call them, and then you do the same thing. Is that pretty much what you did? Well, you also said you did um, went to a lot of fairs and stuff too, right? Yep. And so, yeah, you were asking about the schedule during yeah. uh, during the school year. All those events are on the weekends, and so I would make sure to have no Friday classes. Uh, so then, when when those events did happen, the women's expos, the home shows, home and garden expos, that sort of thing. I would I would be able to work at those events on the weekends as well, and that would add to the the lead base for more people to call. And uh, we would also do set up sharpening appointments for people who already owned Cutco, and then that was our foot in the door to to oh, dude, I get love that. Sale so you're, well. you're like, hey, let me come in and sharpen your knives. Oh, by the way, have you seen the new 2017? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, ooh, that's a badass knife. Yes, it is. Yours today for $9.99. No, wait. There's, no, I love that shit. Um, what was the difference between the sales presentation that you were doing um, at the fairs or the shows versus the one in the home, or were they the same? And walk, and walk me through, too. I'm curious how you, how you do that, right? Yeah, similar elements, just uh, it's a lot faster pace. When, you, when you're when you in someone's home, they're inviting you to sit at their kitchen table and uh, a lot more time to build rapport and go through everything. And a lot of times those appointments where, you know, between an hour and two hours isn't out of the ordinary. Uh, when you're at an environment where you're at a trade show and there's a bunch of booths set up, it's hard to get people to spend five or 10 minutes talking to you. So that's a good point. Uh, it's just condensing all the same principles of the presentation down into a, 
an approach where it's deliverable in like 10 to 15 minutes at the most. I love those at the fairs, by the way, whenever they have those, I always stopped at all of them, but maybe that's just a sales, <laughs> the sales nerd enemy. How many of those would you um, work every month? Was it every weekend you keep yourself busy or? It was as many as I could, probably not every, every weekend. It was normally two or three weekends per month. I would say. When did you realize that you're a Cutco selling badass, right? At some point, I had to click in your head, like, wait a second, if I'm in the top 25, like, how's that possible? Just me going to college, right? Uh, when did you figure that out? Well, it's the top 25 out of all the college students. So oh, okay. they had a, they had a uh, scholarship campaign that was really easy to promote to people, like, hey, help me out. I'm going for a scholarship. Oh, so, man, that's good. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, I don't know. It was, it was just because people buy the why all the time. Sometimes people exactly. buy the why more than the product, right? Yeah. Oh, I get a nice knife and I get to send this young man so presentable and so friendly through college, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. Who would say no? I guess I just won't go next semester. No, I'm just kidding. I would, <laughs> I would never do that, but that that's implied to a certain extent, right? That's a great idea. Um, did at any point, I mean, you're doing this hardcore shit, right? And at any point, you're like, why am I going to college? Yes. Uh, summer of 2013, uh, I ran I ran two branch offices for Cutco. I opened an office uh, for the summer of 2012 in Traverse City. And I was downriver in 2013. My office was on Telegraph Road in Taylor. And uh, at the end of that summer, I... I uh, it was it was August, and I remember like calling my parents at at, uh, at an event and telling them like, "Hey, I'm thinking about taking a semester off of school and just working full time and saving up a bunch of money, so I don't have to worry about paying for school. I can just concentrate on making the money, and then when I go back to school, it'll be a lot easier and a lot less stressful." And uh, so that. Yeah, that thought did cross my mind. And then I thought to myself, well, if I take one semester off, what are the chances I'll ever go back? I probably wouldn't. No, have. you probably so wouldn't. I'm glad have, I yeah. stuck it out through the four years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Right. Um, do you think it helps you to have that degree? So, I mean, selling is selling, right? I don't know. What do you think? I, I could see both sides of it, but uh, what's your argument for getting your degree? My degree, environmental studies and sustainability is really closely connected with uh, what I would consider to be like my passion or my calling in life. And so Cutco has always been just the vehicle to be able to support uh, the lifestyle that I want. And uh, you, you're, you've read some Gary Keller, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I've taken Keller Williams bold twice. And one of the bold laws is the, the, purpose of business is to fund a perfect life. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's always been for me in high school, I, I studied abroad for a semester and spent a semester down in the Bahamas at a school called the Island school. And that kind of lit the fire for that interest in the environment and outdoor education and, uh, when I went back for a semester while I was in college, I spent six months down at the island school in the Bahamas again. And uh, and so that's where everything kind of 
connects because right now I'm working on uh, some programs with Michigan State to send a, a more uh, to start a more regular program where they're sending students down there every year and supporting a like a group of students that goes down there on an annual basis or every once a semester the why so what what about the school i mean i don't do this for fun right like don't get me wrong i like selling things but you're absolutely right i have i want a 50,000 acre farm i need to sell a lot of shit to buy a 50,000 acre farm and then i want to farm on it till i die in fact i hope i just i'm out there farming and i just kill over and die and then my pigs come and eat me or something like that so i get that but what what is it about this school what does this school do and what what are you trying to fund with your cut go sales uh so the island school is the name of the school it's a study abroad program for high school students and uh you know sophomores and juniors in high school so 16 17 year olds will go down there and uh take a semester off of school at their homeschool and basically go to this boarding school, for lack of a better word, in the Bahamas to learn about sustainability and living as a community and being able to uh, yeah, function as, as a part of the, their, their mission statement is leadership affecting change. So it's just giving young people the reins to be able to make decisions that are going to affect change and trusting in kids, basically young people to have the wherewithal and the ability to go out and make decisions that are going to affect people in the real world. Okay. Give me an example of what would be the positive outcome. Some kid goes down there, they go and they attend this school, they go out in the real world and then they do X, Y, and Z. What would that X, Y, and Z be? A lot of the a lot of the students will um, get into research on environmental uh, in the environmental science field. So a lot of uh, there's a student who like uh, just to give you one example, a high school student who was from Connecticut, I believe, or Vermont, and went down there for mes- for a semester, and then came back home and while he was still in high school started a composting business while where he was going around in his local neighborhood and collecting compost waste from all the neighbors and then composting that and then the next season returning it to them as soil for their gardens. That's an interesting idea. Did he charge he charge for this or mm-hmm. okay so this school is it entrepreneurial too or does it not care the school? Uh it's more based in like research and education and conservation. Okay. That's a great idea. I like that. I compost myself. I just do it the lazy way. I have one pile and it rots there one year and then I have the next pile and it rots there the next year. By the third year, I go back to that first pile and start again. So uh, that's okay. So that's a good example. So that is your why. So what are you attempting to do with this school? Funded or just what? what's, what is motivating you to, to put time and effort and send, try and send people there? So, That's a great question. The motivation for me has been has been spending as much time down there as I can and working with the students. So uh, come February of this year, I'll be 
actually going down to the school and volunteering my time to work with the students for about two months. And I'll be leaving my, uh, I'll be leaving Michigan for two months and spending time down there and, uh, working with the, the center for sustainable development, which they manage all the systems on campus as far as, um, renewable energy and water and waste, composting, uh, farming, things like that. And, um, my goal is, yeah, just to, to work with the sustainable development team as, as much as I can and also work with the students. Uh, they do scuba week. So my goal is to get my dive master certification while I'm down there helping, Sweet. helping out the students learn how to scuba dive. And I'm also, uh, going through a 200 hour, uh, registered yoga teacher training certification just next door at Citizen Yoga starting uh this saturday october 1st and by the time i i leave to go down to the bahamas in february i'll have a yoga uh certification and so i'll be teaching as much as i can while i'm down there too to the students you could be down there for a couple months yep that's gonna be nice so I'm interested in this um, sustainable development. What do you mean by that? Are you talking about like development of businesses, development of real estate, development of projects, or are we just talking about just humans living in less wasteful ways? Or what is that to you? The, the actual center for sustainable development is one of the divisions of the island school. So they're mostly focused on their campus, which is a, um, a, you know, a small portion of Cape Eleuthera, which is the island that the school is located on in the Bahamas. And so their business model is to experiment a lot with different ways of, um, different ways of, I would say, producing resources that are able to sustain a community and dealing with waste resources in a way that they're able to then kind of be a a model where they're experimenting with different ways that of dealing with those things so that when they find the most successful ways, they're able to share those with other institutions, other communities within the Bahamas and within the larger Caribbean and then with the world to, to, to whatever extent it's, it's applicable, whatever research or project that they're working on. So it's kind of like be the change they want to be. And when they find something that works, then export it with all of the research and then send these young kids out to export these working ideas, at least in certain situations. Is that, did I summarize it fairly? Yep. Okay, that's interesting. How did you get to know about this place? Uh, I had a friend in high school, Eric Verdier, that uh, I took a photography class with him. I was a a sophomore, he was a junior, and uh, he was about to leave to go study abroad at this school, at the island school, and he told me about it, and I, I kind of looked out the window and it was the middle of January in Michigan at this point. And <laughs> You're I'm not like, a hard sell. This right? guy's going to the Bahamas <laughs> to spend a semester abroad. 
how do I learn more about that? And then I went through the application process and got accepted. And so that's how I found out about it. That's, that's a good hook. What is just out of curiosity? What is the, um, I don't know the application process. Like, is it rigorous or is it more like, Hey, you could afford it or are they trying to find certain people or it's pretty competitive. They, uh, it's, it's really great preparation for the students that do apply because even if they don't make it in the, the admissions process is really similar to the college, the college, the, um, application process that you'd go through to apply to go to college. And so, a lot of these kids are freshmen, sophomore, junior in high school and filling out these applications. And then um, there's a, yeah, there's an interview that they do through Skype, which I was actually one of the volunteers that was interviewing a lot of the kids who had applied this past, this past year. And then, um, yeah, they provide their, their need blind in terms of the financial aid that they provide. So all the, decisions of whether or not somebody's accepted are made prior to the financial aid. Okay. Yeah. That's process, a good, so. okay. So they're just looking for the best fit Yep. Exactly. and then they just do their best to figure out what to do after that. Exactly. Right. Is this an expensive thing or how long yeah, do you it's, go? It's not cheap. Yeah. It was, is it like a regular college or what, what does class look like for, for something like that? Uh, the classes are, they have, uh, they have literature, they have math, they have science, they have art. So the classes, most of the time for the students that are going, will transfer, at least they did for me, back to their home school, that, where their high school is at. And then um, they're, they're, yeah, they're pretty rigorous. It's, it's a, a lot of it is preparation for college, and they just put a twist on it because there's only four classrooms and the rest of the learning is done outside the classroom, whether that be in, uh, you know, going on field trips or scuba diving as a science class or uh, visiting local settlements in the Bahamas to talk with the natives and learn about history for their histories class. So it's just a, yeah, it's just a different take on, on education really. Your parents make you pay for it? Did you have to figure out how to pay for it or they hook you up? <laughs> so I got I got a a grant that I didn't have to repay. So uh I I it was kind of half and half probably. I'd I had to work for a lot of it and then my parents helped me out with some of it as well. Yeah, that's not a bad little you know. You were pretty young, like, all right, if you get halfway I'll get you the other half. Yeah, that's not a bad. My parents did the same thing with a car, so there that makes sense. Yep. So, well, obviously, this had a pretty lasting impact on you, right? Because fast forward, I don't know how many years, seven, eight years later, mm-hmm. and you're still thinking about it, and you're going back now to volunteer your time. So you're not even getting paid to do it. You're going to pay to go, and you're going to take time off work and not get paid. Although I'm sure you have some sort of residual income, right? That's one of the good things about it. But um, so it must have had an impact on you. Do you plan on on doing this forever or? Did I or do I? Do you? Yeah. Uh, for the yeah, for the foreseeable future, as long as I can, I'd like to um, year after year spend a little bit more time down there. So, like this year, I'm going for two months. Maybe next year I'd do three months. Next year, four months, and eventually, I'd like to end up where I'm spending about six months in Michigan and six months in the at the island school. Yeah, let me take a guess which months you would like yeah, to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> you would like to be down there. Let's see, six months. Would you leave after Thanksgiving and come back just in time for September? Just maybe. about, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, do. I hate to miss Christmas, but somehow you'd manage, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds interesting. Um, let's get back to this um, this Cutco. So how old are you, by the way? 24. Man, put together, man, for 24 years old. 24 years, five, six years, six years in Cutco? Five, six years? At the end of this year, 2016, it'll be... Yeah, not yeah, that six long. Full years, six six full, years. full years. Um obviously you've been promoted. What are you working on now at Cutco? Because you're not obviously you're not where you started. You're you're yep. somewhere else. So um actually let's let's back up. How does somebody start at Cutco? And then let's talk about what you're currently doing at Cutco. Yeah, so now I work with uh ninety different real estate offices in southeast Michigan and help uh just over two hundred real estate agents brand their business long-term using their closing gifts. So rather than giving out uh, consumable or disposable gifts, like a bottle of wine, gift basket, gift card, we engrave the marketing information for the real estate agent, Jeremy Burgess, Burgess, Keller Williams, and your cell phone number right on the blade. So that way when you give it to your client, it helps you stay top of mind. They're using a knife with your name on it every single day in their kitchen. That to me is, I don't know why people do that, but it's a good knife too, folks. If you haven't used it, I mean, I'm not selling Cutco knives, trust me, but um, the thought has crossed my mind. It's a good knife. It's an excellent knife. Um, it's not some German knife, but who's going to spend $800 on a knife? You probably sell knife that nice though, right? If you want to sell, sell that, but people do cookies, they do flowers, they do, like you said, wine. And it's something I hadn't thought about till you said it at the meeting. You're like, you're right. As soon as it's gone, it's a great experience. And then it's gone and it's out of mind. However, who, who even if you got divorced, who would throw a fucking knife like that away? Right. <laughs> who, what would you do with like, ah, you know, I hate, I hate this nice knife that cuts everything really well. Oh, by the way, they'll come sharpen it for free. Um, how'd you end up working at the, um, closing guests department? How'd you get that job? Uh, it was, it was really just all the stars aligning at the perfect time where I had, uh, I graduated from Michigan State in May of 2015. Uh, there was really no one in Michigan that was pursuing it full time. And, uh, we had had a, a representative, Jeremy Reisig, who a lot of the agents in your office have worked with and is someone that I've mentored with and have deep respect for. And I'm still coaching with him. Um, he worked the Grand Rapids market really heavily for about three or four years. And then he's now uh, pursuing a career as a full-time musician and has a business partner in Texas that he more or less sold his accounts to that um, the this gentleman Gonzalo in Texas is taking care of all of Jeremy's past clients and uh Jeremy's receiving residual income on it still. And, uh, he made his, he started venturing into the Southeast Michigan market, uh, towards the end of 2013 and made a lot of contacts and connections out here. And then when he sold his business, there wasn't really anyone to take over in the Southeast Michigan market. And so I graduated from college and, uh, my parents sold their home and 
Grand Rapids and they have a motor home now. And so I didn't really have anything keeping me in Grand Rapids. And I saw the opportunity was much larger out on the east side of the state. And so I just made the decision and dove in and uh, started off a little slow. It, it took a while. It was hard getting some traction and uh, yeah, talk about that. How do you, how do you, cause that, that is a hard thing. You're literally busting into a new territory, right? Mm-hmm. People have to do it all the time. I started doing it full time as a real estate agent two, three months ago, right? You're, you're doing something completely different than, than at least for me, I was doing something completely different in your case. You now have to go into a new area. No, no leads. I assume, right. You got to go do it all on your own. Correct. How'd you do that, man? In, uh, in the start, a lot of it was just cold calls to offices, and I I sat together and uh, or I sat down and put together a list of all the real estate offices I could find online in in Southeast Michigan, and then just started making phone call after phone call after phone call. And um, I remember my my first meeting that I did was at the Real Estate One office in Southgate, and. Uh, there were five or six agents there. It wasn't a very well attended meeting. And I was like <laughs> shaking. My hands were shaking and I was really nervous and I didn't sell anything. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, Crash and burn. So, yeah. So, I mean, but it, it was, I just did what I learned to do my whole career in Cutco. It's just one, every no gets you one step closer to a yes. And so I just kept at it and kept scheduling the meetings and, uh, and in 2015, I I did about I think 40 40 office meetings and um, spoke at 40 different events in in front of real estate agents. And already for 2016, I'm at 70, and I'll I'll finish this year at over 100 different events that I've spoken at. And so it's just a matter of getting getting out there and getting in front of people. And um, yeah, it, it's 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 fun because it you. Like you said, it's a, it's residual income. You you start running into clients all over the place. You start becoming more well known and and being able to walk in a room and have a lot of confidence in the product and in the program because so many people are using it and it works for so many people. Rather than when I was first starting out, I was just nervous as hell and sweating bullets and and didn't really know what I was doing. Cool calling agents too has got to be particularly difficult because that's what, at least if you, I do a fair amount of cold calling, right? So it's kind of like cold call. Did you cold call the office or were you trying to get individual agents? What was your strategy there? I was cold calling office, office managers, um, getting into the meeting. And then at the meeting, I would have, I would do the seven minute presentation that you saw at the Detroit Athletic Club and then collect cards for people who are interested and then follow up with them afterwards. So that was a much easier, um, that's a much easier call to make rather than to an office manager who, you know, and it's, it's interesting too, cause, um, you know, brokers, managers, team leaders, they get calls from all sorts of vendors asking them yeah. to let them in and, and speak to their agents. And, um, it's, you know, once, once, once you've made the connection with one, then a lot of times they'll kind of vouch for you and, and give you the referrals to the, uh, to the other, uh, people in their company that you need to get in with. So it's a, uh, 
it snowballs and it's it's fun to look back over the last year year and a half and just think about how how much easier it is now to to call natalie and say yeah hey when, when can i come in and she's just like oh come okay yeah, come this, in on yeah, x is, y and z yeah, right exactly. so your strategy was to go after the managers they would get you in the office then when you get in the office you do your presentation you collect cards then ask for referrals to other offices right mm-hmm. and that was kind of your sales strategy yep yeah, I don't know if that went slow so much as it just takes time to do that, right? Did yeah, you how exactly. well did you measure I mean 2015 that you did you got in the 40 offices? Mm-hmm. Do you know, I mean I don't know if if I, if I ask you something you don't want to say. I mean, how many sales did you get out of 40 offices? Uh I know it's a, and it's a small glimpse because you're going to get more going yeah, back, right? I'd, I'd have to look. It'd be um I know I know right now I have 230 clients, agents that are giving the gifts at every closing pretty much. And I think probably like my first hundred, I would say came from 2015, those first 40 offices or so. Man, it's hardcore right there. And average, uh, what, do you know what your average sales price is too? For, cause they're not just one and done. Thank you, ma'am. They, hopefully you're getting them with producers, right? And they're exactly. Um, what would you know what their average yearly order is for something like that? Uh, so now I mentioned earlier when I was a college student selling to homeowners, average order was $250, yeah, which is not bad. Yeah. Now working with real estate agents, it's $500. And then like you mentioned, they, they come back and order more. Yeah. Every single, well, hopefully right after closing business and they have new clients yep. and yeah, they, and they're doing it more. Have you had, more, I'm curious about this. Have you had more success with people who sell higher end homes, or I don't know if you've noticed any distinction, or or if we paid attention at all? Not necessarily. I find that the agents that I work with, who are the top producers, who are the most successful, will give them out at every closing because it's a system that they have in place for their business. And it kind of takes the emotion out of it. Like, Oh, I don't know if this person deserves a knife or if they deserve a $25 gas card. Like they don't have to think about it. It's just something that's automatically part of their system. I like that too. That's what I would personally do. Cause who knows what referrals you're going to get from someone. And it's a grant Cardone thing. If you treat everybody like a buyer, Odds are, you know, you're far more likely to turn somebody in the buyer or get a referral if you treat everybody like a buyer instead of like, okay, if your house sells for one fifty, you get a knife, then it sells for one forty nine, you get a twenty five dollar gas card. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, you at some point I'm gonna ask you to do the whole thing just because I want people to hear it because they're too lazy to go back and listen to the podcast. I know they won't go back and um and click on it, but walk me through if you don't mind. I'm, you probably don't. There'll be people listening, right? Walk me through your sales pitch. Because if it doesn't have everything, it has almost everything. So if you don't mind, and feel free to set it up too, however you want to, however you want to set it up. Because I know it's a little, maybe a little awkward just to do it with yeah. one other guy in the room, right? So yep. Two guys in a room sweating, yeah. you know? So I'll just set it up the way I've rehearsed it 50,000 times. There and, you go. Yeah. Um, the yeah the manager will introduce me hey this is luke from cutco he helps real estate agents brand their business using their closing gifts listen to what he has to say and then from there it's just yeah luke sasek with cutco i'm sure 
most of you in the room have heard of our company before. We've been around since the 1940s. Ten years ago, we came out with a special program that's just for real estate agents. And in the last 10 years, we've grown to become the largest closing gift company in North America. So there's 40,000 real estate agents throughout the United States and Canada that give these gifts away at every transaction. And I'm sure most of you are giving gifts of some sort in your business. A lot of agents that we talk to will give a bottle of wine, a gift basket, a plant, a gift card. And I'm not here to tell you that your clients don't like those gifts and appreciate those gifts. The fact is they do because they're getting a free gift. The challenge is what happens to most of those gifts two weeks later. They're gone, right? So they're consumable. Your clients eat them, drink them, spend them, and there's no daily reminder of who the realtor is over the next 5, 10, 15 years. So at Cutco, what we've done is figured out a very simple solution for you to not only give a gift to your client that they will love and use every single day, it also turns your closing gift into a great investment on your part as a business owner because we can help you increase your client retention and your brand awareness here in your local market. So in our closing gifts division, which that's the division that I work with, we take your name, your cell phone number, and the Keller Williams logo, and we engrave that right on the blade of our product so that when you give that to your client, it helps you stay top of mind. The National Association of Realtors says that only 20% of the homeowning population can name who their realtor is two years after the transaction. We make it impossible for them to ever forget who their realtor is because your name and cell phone number are engraved on a Cutco knife that they use every single day in their kitchen. And Jeremy, what's the most popular place in the home where people are entertaining the most? The kitchen, obviously, right? Exactly. So Every time. Yep. That's why we have the red handles, the white handles. They stand out a little bit. So if your clients are having guests over and one of them asks about the knives and it can spark a natural conversation about you and your services. Uh, there's also tax laws in, re- in regards to what you can legally write off on your closing gifts on your tax return. Do you know what the limit is from the IRS? Uh, not off the top of my head, but it's low. It's, yeah, it's, it's only, very low. It's only $25. Yeah. Most agents will spend more than that, and they cross their fingers hoping they don't get audited, or they only write off the $25 limit so they don't get the full tax write-off they deserve. We're actually engraving your marketing or advertising information on the product, so instead of writing it off as a closing gift, it's 100% legally tax-deductible as marketing or advertising. Uh, It's also a really easy system to put in place for your business. So instead of at the last minute trying to run around and go shopping and pick out the perfect gift for each client right before the closing, it's a lot easier to place an order for a small supply that you can keep on hand. So whenever you have a closing, you can just grab your gift and go. It's already branded. It's got your information on it. 100% of your clients eat on a daily basis. So it works for just about everyone. And it's also the longest lasting client retention system you can put in place. Cause if you think about it, what other gift can you give to your clients? That's a hundred percent legally tax deductible has your name and cell phone information engraved on it. They'll use it every day and they'll have it for the rest of their lives. That's why we're the biggest and the best when it comes to closing gifts. Cause if you add that up over five, 10, 15 years, they're seeing your name every day. That's thousands of touches that you're getting just for giving one gift. And in terms of pricing, they range from 80 to $250. Most agents will order 
a supply of gifts that will last them between six months and a year, depending on how many closings they have. We divide that up over five or 10 months and bill you monthly, send you everything up front so you have it ready to go. And then, uh, yeah, I'll ask for whoever's interested, any interest in the program at all, just pass up your business card and I'll follow up with you after the meeting. And then I, he did by the way, folks. Yep. I know yeah. you were all warning him. Does he really do it? You know, your times you pass such a card and they don't. He really did, by the way. He <laughs> called me up. Yep. So then I just, uh, I take a picture of all my business cards and send that to an assistant that puts them in our database. And then I'll make phone calls through the database to, to follow up with everyone until I can cross everyone off the list. Let's break that down. So first of all, Cutco's been around a long time, so you, you immediately draw the fact like, look, we're not going away, right? We've been here forever. We're not some new startup. We're not some new fangled thing. You know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, like Plymouth Rock, right? We put it, Cutco and, and, and Plymouth Rock, you, you draw attention to that. And then you kind of lead right into, um, I can't remember who did it. I forget his name, Abraham something, where it's education-based sales, right? Where you're drawing attention to their best interests, right? which I hadn't thought about before. I mean, I, I do education-based sales all the time, but the agent thing's new to me. I've been on the investment side for 10 years. I just started as an agent recently. So I hadn't considered a lot of the more agent stuff, which you're absolutely right. They drink that bottle of wine. They I know they appreciate it, right? I like how you, you draw that too. It's not that they don't appreciate it. They do, but then it's gone. And then oh yeah, savage move right there. You can write off on taxes. Why not? I'm curious, what are your top five objections after listening to that? Because I'm having a hard time coming up with one. But what, if you can, what are your top five objections after that presentation and how do you overcome them? If you can even come up with five, I don't know. I don't think I can come up with five. I think it's really only one and that's price. Um, for... Okay, Luke, it sounds all great, but I can't afford a $75 knife for my clients when um, I only made $500 on the deal. So I really appreciate your time, Luke, but I don't think I could afford it. Yeah, so we have we have the investment options. You can split up the payments over five months interest-free, and we'll bill you monthly so you can get a supply of gifts that will last you six to 12 months rather than having to pay for it all up front. That's, that's the really the only objection I have to handle the, the price objection. If, if somebody doesn't think their clients are worth $85, then it's not, I don't, I don't really try to convince them. Otherwise I'll just, I'll just let them go. Cause okay. I, I know for a fact that most Asians are spending hundred two hundred dollars on gifts anyways and you know if if they're if they're spending 25 50 dollars then they're not really a qualified prospect for me okay so yeah that's a question how do you how do you qualify your prospects uh i ask them if they give gifts first of all i did that to me yep i'm not in the business of convincing people who don't give gifts that they should start to give gifts. Oh, that's an excellent point. Uh, yeah. And it, it just saves me a lot of a time. shit ton of time. Yeah. Right. And disappointment. Right. Yeah. That's like running into a brick wall. Exactly. I don't give closing gifts. You should No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So do you give gifts? 
uh, I ask how many gifts would they give in the next 30 to 45 days. That way I'm, I know if I'm working with an agent who is doing business and closing deals and has transactions, and then I ask them how many gifts they would give over 6 or 12 months, and then I ask them what is their price point for your gifts that you're giving. Some agents will vary their price point of their gift depending on the sale of the home. Some agents will just give the same gift to every single buyer, no matter what the price point of the home is. And so uh, from there, I I steer them towards what, what, what direction is going to be the best for them in terms of what gifts we have that fit within those price ranges. And then it's, okay, this is how much it would be, this much a month. How does that sound? Do you want to do it? Do you want me to... Yeah, that's. Do you want me to write up the order? Yeah, <laughs> so want me to write this order, up. Right? Yeah. yeah, ask for it. No, so so you do you do finance. So if they say no, they can't. You, sorry, I should turn that off. My bad. On my own podcast, that's embarrassing. Sorry, <laughs> I left my uh, Bluetooth on. So if you heard that, um, I apologize. So the one, the main objection you get because you qualify the people, right? So they don't give closing gifts, or they don't do a lot of transactions, right? I guess that's a nice way of saying, do you close business or not? Yeah, I make $3,000 a year. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to make, but obviously that's not as good a sale as getting in with a team, right? Who does $40 million a year, exactly, right? Yeah. So you get in with that team. Um, no other objections though, other than just the cost or... I'm just curious because... Not really. Some people... Some people are like suspicious about, or they don't know how it would come off getting a get a knife from their real estate agent. Um, so some people have some hesitation about that, but then it's just well, I would not have saw that coming. Yeah, Interesting. Then you just then you just draw it back to what what's the alternative, really? Because the only the only competition we have is like gift baskets and gift cards. Yeah. And when you think about it in terms of what's going to be the best investment from the real estate agent standpoint, it's an easy answer every time. So I can't believe there's nobody else doing something like that, but there is nobody else doing something like that it is all food and baskets. I didn't even think about it until, until you mentioned it. So, um, is this something you can sell passively or do you have to set appointments and go and sell physically? How do you mean? So, like, let's say I want to put a link at the bottom of this podcast. Could people just go buy shit? Or is this something like where I have to call, set an appointment, go, put the order form in front of them, get them to sign it? You know, I'm just trying to see how passive this is. Yeah, could be. At, at this point, it's right now, there's no support for if a real estate agent wants to place an order and just fill out the information online and have the package show up at their office two or three weeks later, uh, they have to place an order directly through a representative. And uh, I do I do probably most of my business over the phone. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have the order form in front of me and write up the order on the phone, just get the credit card information over the phone from the agent. And, uh, it's, it's passive to the degree that any, as long as I have internet and phone access, I can, I can write up an order from anywhere in the world. Um, 
And like I mentioned, a lot of we do we do email marketing. We send out catalogs, and a lot of the agents that I work with who are who are getting those emails and getting the the flyers and things like that will will call me to place an order. Uh, I just have to be there to field that phone call. Okay, I was going to ask, what do you do? Any marketing at all? Just out of curiosity. Um, so, yeah, we do. I do email marketing. I do. Um, I send out catalogs to customers who have bought before from me. Um, those are actually all dropping in the mailbox this week. And then I do. I do marketing at events. So I oftentimes will. Uh, pay to sponsor an event if I can. Yeah, like the DAC of, one, yeah, right? Exactly. Give if you a little credibility. So he was at and, the Detroit yeah. Athletic Club, um, and that was with Keith Stonehouse and yep. David Brooks. Yep. And you paid some sort of money to become a sponsor, which that's a pretty good place to be a sponsor, right? Lots of money in the room, DAC, lots of credibility. And in exchange for that, you got to give up and give your sales pitch and. Well, no, everybody, you're like, nobody wanted to go first, and you're like, fuck it, I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember listening to it, like, boy, I'd hate to follow that guy. <laughs> everybody who followed afterwards, like, yeah, your sales pitch sucks, sorry. <laughs> no, it didn't. I'm just kidding. There were good sales pitches. It just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to follow you either. So basically, if they buy something from you, they get a catalog, and then you sometimes will sponsor events and go, and you'll do your pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm sure you get a, a certain number of referrals at this point, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Are you still cold calling offices and still getting in the offices, things like that? Not very much. It's 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 funny you mentioned that because I actually was today for the first time in a long time, and um, this morning I I got into the office at nine o'clock and was cold calling offices from like nine to ten, and uh, really that just reminded me how much I don't like cold calling. Uh, <laughs> it's not the funnest thing yeah. in the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, I don't know how many off, how many real estate offices in Southeast Michigan. I've been in 90 of them. I haven't even scratched the surface no. of yeah. the total amount. So, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot more potential in terms of market penetration. How many agents, how many offices I can get in front of. It's just about at this point, where do I want to, spend the time where am I going to have the most bang for my buck? Cause it's, it's in all reality, it's not going to be cold calling offices. It's going to be, uh, going like deeper instead of wider in relationships. So going back to offices that I've already been to before and just developing deeper relationships with top clients and top producers so that I can get referrals for people who work with them rather than, uh, rather than taking the cold calling angle. Cause it's, it's hard to build credibility over the phone in five or 10 minutes making a cold call versus calling people who have already seen me speak at events or who have already met before who will invite me back to their office. Yeah. I much prefer, I spend most of my time doing sphere of influence too. They already know and like you, you're far more likely to get something than just interrupting somebody. Nothing wrong with interrupting people, folks. I do a fair amount of cold calling too. Like I, I go on for sale by owner sites, cold, cold call them, Zillow, cold call them. It does work. One thing I'm always confused about is agents who are too afraid to um, talk to friends or family. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Do they yeah. like you? Yeah. Are you going to do a good job? Yeah. If 
you're going to suck, I guess maybe you don't want to do it, right? I'm going to go treat somebody really poorly so I don't want to call my friends or family. Like, Yeah, don't suck. What does the future hold for Mr. Luke? What do you think you're going to be doing? Let's say fast forward five years. You're a young man. Sell a lot of knives. You really like this sustainable development kind of thing. You're going that direction. Um, where do you think the next five years holds for you? My goal for the next five years, I would say, is to um, continue to grow my sales numbers in Cutco while continuing to take more and more time off. And a lot of that time will be spent uh, working with the island school, whether I have a physical presence on campus in the Bahamas, whether I am working with other schools in Michigan to inform students of the opportunities that may be available if they were to study abroad in the Bahamas or uh, whether that be uh, working in the working in the local community here in Michigan and becoming, uh, I would say, for a, a lack of a better word, like a connector of people, a mover and shaker, like a public figure in Michigan, being able to um, just make make a lot of connections in the business and the real estate community in Southeast Michigan and across the state as well. Interesting. You've learned a lot of sales stuff over the years, right? What are some of the books, movies, podcasts, anything or mentors that you think have helped you become successful that you would recommend to our listeners to either do read, listen, watch or whatever. I'm curious. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm a, I'm a really big reader. I've read uh, 22 books this year so far, and a lot of those are having to do with sales and marketing, and there's, there's some reading, obviously, for pleasure that I do as well. In terms of uh, sales and marketing, The One Thing by Gary Keller, uh, Seven Levels of Communication by Michael Mayer, um, the top like book on finances and money that I, the top two books that I've read on finances and money are, uh, secrets of the millionaire mind by T Harv Ecker and the richest man in Babylon by, I believe it's George Clayson. Um, those would be four offhand that I, that I would recommend. Okay. I've read a few of those. I haven't read all of them. I put them on there. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about that we didn't cover? Now's the time. It could be anything. I don't care what we talk. We talk about sports if you want to. Yep. You mentioned uh, morning routines. And yeah. 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 That. So yeah. I'll add on to my uh, list of reading recommendations, the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. And uh, that's, I would say, the Miracle Morning is uh, is about how to how to have a more fulfilling life life just by waking up a little bit earlier and jump starting your morning routine with six different activities and those are silence or meditation if you want to put it that way affirmations reading exercise 
uh, visualization. I missed that one. And then scribing or writing. So, uh, he has a, uh, an acronym called the savers silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing that are used to, uh, to convey the, the principles that, um, in a, in a lot of senses, and this is a bold law too, like what you focus on expands. So if you, if you take the first 15 minutes of your day or the first 60 minutes or the first two hours, the amount of time doesn't really, isn't really as relevant as developing the habit and developing the routine of just establishing yourself, um, or establishing like a foundation of just being grateful of all the blessings that you have in your life and, uh, developing a sense of gratitude that really will. And, and for me, like, I don't, I don't do all six of those things every morning, the silence and affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, scribing. I do exercise and writing the most consistently. And for exercise for me, that's yoga pretty much on a daily basis. Um, and I write in a, in a five minute journal, which is a, a great tool that I would recommend to your listeners as well that you can, uh, write down three things you're grateful for and then write down an affirmation and write down three things that would make today great. So it, um, it, there's a, there's a mechanism in your brain called the reticular activating system where you're hardwired to, recognize certain patterns in your life. So whether that be, I bought a new car recently and then all of a sudden, once I started driving that new car, I seemed to notice there were much more of those cars on the road than what there were before. And that wasn't actually the case. It was just the fact that my mind started becoming attuned to and aware of the fact that whenever I would drive somewhere and see that car, it would make a connection. So if you use that same principle and apply it towards uh, just being grateful for the things that are in your life that are going well for you, then that coming from a point of abundance like that will overflow into many other areas of your life as well. And so that's just one, uh, one morning routine that I have. That's the exercise and the writing every day and, and my five minute journal that I, I think I would attribute a lot of the success that I've had to is uh, just getting myself in the right frame of mind first thing in the morning before I really go out and start my day instead of just like jumping, getting out of bed in time to shower for five minutes and then run out the door right away. I make sure I have at least two or three solid hours in the morning time blocked out where I'm able to establish myself in that morning routine and just feel much more grounded and calm and collected and at peace with my, with myself and with whatever happens throughout the rest of my day. I've noticed too, I started, um, I think late last year, early this year, waking up at four 30 in the morning and I have a pretty rigid routine about it. Now I don't do it successfully all the time, folks. So I'm not like some machine, but you do get a ton, shit ton more. I mean, you just get so much more done. It's crazy. You just, you just get more done and you feel better instead of rushing all the time throughout your day. So 
I am struggling with the meditation part, though. I tend to do it at lunch, and if I get it done, it's usually twice, two or three times a week. So I'm not doing a very good job at establishing um, that habit. Uh, I'm pretty good about the exercise, pretty good about waking up. Um, the writing, not so good. I need to... I was I was journaling more six months ago. I just filled my life too much. I got to work on that. So yeah, I'd I'd recommend the five minute journal for you. That makes it easy. And then uh, for meditation, I was having a really hard time with that too uh, until I I started listening to some uh, guided meditations on YouTube by Eckhart Tolle. And I also listened to two of his uh, audiobooks just while I was driving around town in my car, The Power of Now and A New Earth. And uh, I found I found those very helpful in terms of meditation. Have you used I've been using the um, Headspace app yep. on the iPhone. I, I do find his voice a smidge annoying and most people <laughs> like it, but um I don't know. I struggle with the visualization part, but at least I, I can't, that's true. I do need guided. That does help. And so this headspace app on iPhone will do a 10 minute short, 10 minute guided meditation. And there's all sorts of different meditations. I'm not going to bore people with all the different kinds, but the idea on this one is just being present, trying to be present in the moment instead of having anxiety about the future or depression about the past, just trying to enjoy whatever the moment is, which is probably why I have such a hard time with it. I'm always thinking about the shit I got to do in the future, <laughs> which is why I got to take more time to, sp- to spend more time in the moment. I got to say, Luke, it's a vicious cycle. <laughs> and I feel my life too full. So, okay, so the five-minute journal, that's something I can go and buy? Yep, it's on Amazon. It's like All right. 20 bucks. All right, I'll bet, you know, I'm going to have to do that. Is there anything else? Not that I can think of. All right, man. Well, folks, definitely check them out. CutcoClosingGifts.com, 616-295-5537. Lima Mike Sasek, S-A-S-E-K, at gmail.com. And I really appreciate your time today, sir. Thank you. Um, go check it out, folks. If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, hook a brother up, man. Rate it and review it on iTunes. I need you to do that, folks. Subscribe share it everywhere. Um, and for those who do and have already, I really appreciate it. I really do. I do notice if you share it from the renegade, uh, the Detroit investment club page on Facebook, I see it. If you don't do it, I don't see it and I can't say thank you. But for those who are just sharing the link, uh, where I can't see it, um, thank you anyway. I really do appreciate it. Um, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, and we got one coming up here shortly, meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or Facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. Go to YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And I want to put this out there too. I posted on my Facebook page. <clears throat> I'm looking for some help, folks. All right. Here's what I need help on. I need somebody to go back and edit all these fucking videos I did. I have a shit ton at this point. Um, I need help editing videos, syncing up sound, doing that kind of thing. It's probably maybe some grunt and fetch work too. It's probably about 15 hours a week of work that I need to do. If you're reliable and that's something you're interested, what am I willing to do for you? Well, if you're interested in real estate, particularly wholesaling or investing, I will mentor you for a year in exchange for that. Um, if you're interested in doing that, go like. This is how you do it, folks. If you're interested, go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. 
like the page, follow from there. I do some dialing events twice a week where you can come out and dial with me Thursdays and Fridays. And the people who show up, I'm going to decide in 60 days. And I'm looking for reliable. I don't care if you have any experience. You do need to be able to edit videos or at least figure out how to do edit videos. But as far as any other experience, I'm just looking for honest, reliable, and hardworking. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I don't know if you guys watched that fucking abortion of a debate. I don't know how you look at those two people and go, gee whiz, my social security is in great hands. I feel like everything's in great hands. My future is just really bright and shiny and my kids and my great grand. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. So if you haven't figured that out, figure it out. And once you figure it out, get to work. I know they're distractions. I know they're mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits. I know, but you got to do it. All right. Pick some goals, stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer even if it's one step. And I want to thank you for listening. I know your attention is important and limited. And until the next podcast, crush it.